The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 46 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 23rd of June, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. I would like to start off today's episode by taking a moment to recognize all of the frontline professionals out there. To everyone here in North America and around the world that continue to brave the challenges surrounding all of us right now in order to keep us all healthy and safe, from all of us here at Squawk Ident Podcast to all of you, Thank you for all that you do. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I am very excited to be joined by a young aviator, entrepreneur, and humanitarian that was raised within an aviation family. He is a Texas native, an aviation management graduate from Oklahoma State University. He speaks a silent language and has built an impressive resume in the aviation industry. He is a DFW-based legacy airline pilot and today, we sit down with him to find out about his journey in aviation, the amazing work he has contributed to the Gary Sinise Foundation, and we discuss his latest online venture. Please help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Kyle Jansen. Kyle, how the heck are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing great. You know, I'm very excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. We first met um, about two years ago now. Uh, a little little over two years ago, in new hire training at Legacy Airlines. And I got to tell you, I was very impressed as the youngest member of the class and one of the youngest members in the airline. When we went around the room and we were talking about what the seniority was going to be at retirement, because Legacy Airline has this, this app or whatever it is on their website that you can plug in your employee number and it'll tell you what your projected seniority is at retirement. I believe yours was what, three? Number three. Number three. So, you know, fingers crossed that, you know, your your career progression and your journey continues on uh, and you can actually sit here at the age of 65, well, at least 65 for now, but. Right, well, <laughs> see what it is by that time. Right, number three in the airline. Amazing. I mean, you'll be running the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> not to think too far ahead yeah you know, a month at a time that's it that's it that's all we can do you know um but welcome to the show uh yeah how's your flight schedule doing over there in the big dfw it's actually not uh not too bad i uh i would think be flying a lot more than i am but uh been getting a long call reserve the past two months Been flying about uh, 40 hours uh each month and uh easy trips and it's been a dream driving to work. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I could tell you from from experience, uh, spent over a decade of commuting across the country to get to work, to get to my different bases and the different places I've lived. I've always lived on the West Coast and kind of worked out of the close to the East Coast, at least, or Chicago or, or New York. And it's it's definitely challenging. Um, we've talked about that before in the show, where you know commuting is just a natural part of an aviation career. If you decide you, you want to pursue a career in aviation and be an airline pilot or even a, a cargo pilot, um, odds are you're going to be based somewhere other than where you choose to live, if you can live in base, you know, it, it is a game changer. Yeah. It's almost like a different career, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. So it's good that you're flying about 40 hours a month, but you have a guarantee, right? Yes. Yes, sir. And uh, what is that right now for? That'd be three hours for long call uh, uh, for current uh, uh, contract and then uh, 76 hours for short call. And uh, here at locally in DFW, short call uh, goes a little bit more senior uh, mm-hmm. since a lot more people live here uh, than the long call. So but, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, what's the difference between a long call at legacy airlines, at least? Because I know every airline has a little bit different take well, on it. Some airlines don't even have long call. They're just short call. So what's the difference that you're seeing here? So our long call uh, here at the legacy uh, airline is uh, a 12-hour call out to sign up. And what the, what it is made to do is to fill in trips 12 hours prior uh, that the, the company needs filled. Um, where short call, uh, it's generally as soon as possible. Uh, the unwritten rules, two to three hours. Uh, you, you drop everything to, to get to the airplane as fast as you can to get the flight out. But uh, uh, that's a little difference between long call and short call. Long call, you got a little bit more flexibility with your schedule. You're not dropping everything to go. Where a short call, you're you got to go to the airport now. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're using you, which is great. Yeah. Right now, yeah. especially. I mean, I know we're now into this pandemic. You know, what three three months, three and a half months, and and flying is picking up. I, I see you've uh, been keeping up with that. And we're going to get into that a little bit later in the show. But the latest TSA uh, report, over 500,000 travelers went through TSA turnstiles yesterday. That's, I mean, it's not the 2.6 million that we were used to in 2019. But I think it was up to 609 yesterday. 609. That's amazing. Yep. So it, it, the trend's going up each day. Uh, excited to see that every time I've gone to the airport, at least the last three months, um, it seems like there's more and more traffic and, uh, can't be happier, uh, with the lines, uh, grabbing food or the lines waiting to take off. Um, just, uh, knowing that, uh, we're flying customers and uh, people around where they need to get to. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's good to see everybody back or at least coming back. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're still missing a large uh, portion of our regular travelers, which are our business travelers. They make up most of the revenue for, for all the airlines out there in the U.S. Um, the international travel is not picked up yet. But in terms of domestic leisure travel, uh, it's definitely picked up. Um, so if this continues, hopefully now when they potentially start bringing back some of the international travel, which is what is on the horizon. This, this may even be even better news for us. So, so yeah, great, great positivity to start off the show. And I thank you for that. Uh, but here we at Squawk Ident, 
we focus on primarily the journey of today's aviator, uh, how they got into aviation, especially when we're at the level that we are here that you and I share. Um, I mean, I, I know I was curious as, as a younger self starting out in aviation. I mean, I've been dreaming about aviation since I was a young child and, and here I am getting to do it, but I had no idea. A lot of the stuff I've had to learn as time came and, and my experiences allowed for me to learn these things. And you had a little bit of an amazing benefit, which is not uncommon here in the aviation industry, especially at this level, that you came from an aviation family. Tell me what that was like growing up with a dad who was an airline pilot. Well, uh, start out, Tony, my, my father's been, been my biggest mentor, uh, growing up, uh, and essentially that's how that that's how uh i'm here today i was listening uh to him growing up to different avenues but uh uh growing up as a kid um younger uh he, he back then it was a beeper and uh i guess that was the reserve system back then instead of a phone call they would uh, beep you to find a phone uh to call in and uh, I remember growing up, uh, he was on the beeper a lot, but they, their system back then was a little bit more different um, uh, where they just called guys. And if you wanted to go fly, you want to go fly. And uh, that's my, that's my father. He loves to fly. Um, grew up around the little airport uh, here in the DFW Metroplex. Uh, both my parents are from Omaha, Nebraska. So every time we went up to Omaha, uh, that's where my dad's uh, grassroots were at. Uh, went and saw his old bosses and uh, some of his old work colleagues around the little airports. Um, but uh, but grew up grew up uh, around the airport. So uh, uh, just seeing him flying and uh, uh, talking to people. Yeah, this is what uh, this is what I've always wanted to do. And uh, as I got older. Uh, with his seniority, just uh, just like everything here in the, the aviation industry, seniority is everything. And as I got older, he was around more. Um, so there were some baseball games that he missed, but uh, for the most part, he was at practice. He was at most of the games, and uh, uh, it, it was a great childhood uh, growing up. And uh, uh, just looking back on it. Uh, uh, yeah. been there for, for our family so um you know not not all the times are great when uh 9-11 happened in uh, 2007 2008 with the, the crash where people had to not just the airline industry but everybody had to make uh, kind of different sacrifices but uh um seeing the ups and the downs of the industry and uh he's always kept uh, uh head on his shoulders positive attitude and uh um but, the best mentor I've ever had uh, growing up would, would uh, be my father. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you got to uh, go to the airport or deal uh, with? Uh... Yeah. So we, uh, uh, you know, just thinking back towards uh, younger days, uh, five, six years old, took me little, the uh, good airport, uh, which was right around the corner from our house, which uh, is now a uh, housing development and uh, a hobby lobby so uh we went to the good airport growing up 
Uh, they had open tea hangers. Uh, I, I believe it was paved at that time, a little asphalt uh, strip, had grass taxiways. And uh, from there, kind of went, went around the Metroplex and uh, started looking at other airplanes and FBOs and visiting with uh, the uh, older uh, retired crowd, per se, uh, drinking coffee there at the, the airport. So uh, A lot of social interaction with yeah. pilots and an aviation yep. world at a young yep. age. At a young, very young age. Yeah. And uh, I, I believe it was my eighth birthday that that's when he bought uh for christmas i remember uh getting a uh the microsoft flight simulator that 98 and he bought i, I believe it was, it was either eight or nine maybe 10 somewhere in there but bought that and then bought the little uh bought the little uh, stick that went along with it mm-hmm. and uh just started flying flying that uh on the home computer of course and uh the uh, uh, then from there, um, we were in Omaha, Nebraska one day, uh, visiting family. I think it was Thanksgiving. And, uh, this was when I hit, uh, turned 10 and, uh, dad was thinking about getting a little airplane at that time. I, uh, just going back and talk to him about it, but he, uh, out of the blue, he asked if, uh, I'd be interested in getting a discovery flight with one of his friends that, uh, ran one of the local flight schools up there. And I, I was so excited. I said, sure, let's do it. And went, went and flew. And I was, uh, it was just, it was a different feeling. It felt like, man, this I'm on top of the world right now. This is awesome. And, uh, uh, got a new, uh, got a, uh, liked it so much, uh, booked a flight lesson per se i think it was the next day or two days later or something like that to actually to go go do some, a flight lesson and and from there it uh, fell in love with uh, aviation you got hooked yep got hooked right there and then so yeah. <laughs> now you you started out at a very young age and i know you know times have changed but the basic principles of how to get started in aviation, I think, have not really changed no. at all. No, um, what are some of the uh, – what's, like, your best advice you can give someone maybe, you know, in their teen years that says, man, I really – I'd like to be a pilot someday, but I don't know where to start. What's your advice on where to start? The first start would be getting a discovery flight. And what that entails, it's about 45 minutes. Uh, you go up in a little airplane with an instructor and you go put around. He'll let you, uh, he or she will let you fly the airplane, uh, kind of give you what it, what it would be like, uh, uh, pilot in command of the airplane and, uh, uh, see if you like it, see if you don't like it. That's, that's the big start. And then, uh, from there, if you want to pursue it, uh, the next best thing would be to go and, uh, see if you can hold a medical. Um, I recommend, uh, even though you don't need it, however, uh, just for other, uh, precautions down the road to go ahead and see if you can get a first class medical. Very sage advice. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that, um, yeah, it's kind of killing it overboard for your private pilot, but it just it opens up other doors later on down the road. So, and a lot of people don't know this, but um, the FAA medical is different than 
uh, your your uh, primary care physician right. uh, stuff. So uh, the medicines that somebody could be taking might not be approved for that type of medical. So um, there are ways around it, but they're very lengthy. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, it that that would be a start uh, for somebody that's interested in it before going and spending uh, a lot of money to do something. Yeah, uh, I've heard get, it before where someone goes, they get a third class medical, which is uh, mm-hmm. what usually is issued with a student pilot certificate. It's all one form of paper there. Um, and they they invest in getting a private pilot license. They they graduate from that program, they get their FAA license in their hand and they're like, you know what? I can do this. And so then they continue on with their training. And then before they get their commercial, they're like, oh, well, you should go get a first class medical. And then they find out that they have a disqualifying issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would venture to say, you know, the, the, the getting the first class right away to help ensure that you have no issues for a career path down the road before you invest any money on flight training, I think is very sage advice. However, I would say if there's any doubt that you're currently on any medication, uh, that you have any kind of physical note that you might want to run by the FAA examiner beforehand, um, I would first call, you can look up uh, your, your FAA flight physical office, make a phone call. You can, you can call your local FISDO and get a couple references there and make a phone call and say, okay, I'm whatever, 14 years old. I'm looking to go get a private pilot license. I want to pursue a career in aviation. I have a question before I go in to get my first class medical. I am currently on this medication or that medication, or I have this vision issue or this hearing issue or whatever it is. Is this going to be a problem? Because if you show up to the office and get your first class medical, and now it's been denied because of an issue that you were not aware of that was going to be a disqualifier, now forever you have to mark, yes, I was denied a first class medical. That doesn't mean you're out. You could easily get go through the hoops and, and get a waiver or go through the hoops and, and have a, your primary care physicians sign off saying, yeah, he's it's fine. A lot of these medicines too, Tony are treated for multiple sicknesses per se. So it might look bad in the FAA eyes. However, you might be taking something for a totally different issue than what they said no to. So right. Uh, yeah, right. A good question is to go and ask your AME. Uh, he's going to ask, you know, what you're taking it for. And there might be another medication out there that uh, treats the same thing that is approved uh, on that list. So uh, it's a good start. Yeah, for sure. The earliest memories we have in aviation really affect the way we operate. Uh, it affects the decisions we make along the way on our journey um, and really does help shape what kind of aviator you become later on in life. You had a, your father being your first mentor in aviation. Can you recall any of those earliest memories flying around with your dad? Uh, yeah. Um... So when we, when we bought, uh, so when dad, uh, bought this 172 after, uh, I got, uh, did my first flight lesson because at, at that point, um, uh, at that point it was 15 to solo 16 for the license. And so he was thinking, well, I got a son that wants to fly. We can, 
we can go fly together. We can, you know, start taking the family places, stuff like that. Kyle can, you know, we can build, it'll be a family thing. Yeah. Um, he, he, he bought the airplane and the, the, the minute that I stepped foot in the airplane, it was, I was held to a much higher standard than your average private pilot commercial pilot. I was held to ATP standards as a, as a young kid. And he, I remember he told me, he said, if you're going to pursue this as a career, this is where it starts right now. Uh, it's if you, if you want to do this professionally, when you grow up, yeah. we're, I'm going to make you proficient. Um, you, uh, you're not going to get away with a lot of uh, the, the extra stuff. Uh, 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 for the private, uh, yeah. extra wiggle room. We're going to make you, we're going to make it ATP standards, yeah. airline transport pilot standards. And, uh, it's just, it's going to make you better, uh, throughout your career if you hold yourself to that. So, Absolutely. So he, so, the law of primacy went into effect. He understood this as a professional aviator and he, he was able to, you know, a lot of people look at that and go, oh, it must've been tough, but mm-hmm. no, that's absolutely the best way to yep, get started. started do it right learn it right and hold that high standard at the beginning and then you know if you back down a little bit <laughs> that's up to you but you know yep. oh that's wonderful and so yep. you remember did he give you any of that training or he we, he did some of it uh we did a lot of the cross countries together we did some primary stuff but as the father-son relationship you know headbutting in the cockpit uh, or I, I got another instructor to do, uh, the, the primary training per se, but we did a lot of the, the cross country stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular airplane didn't have a GPS. I, I know we're going to have a lot of listeners with the, uh, I know, right. Uh, VR you know, dials and clock gauges yeah. and oh yeah. my goodness. Uh, the Conoco Phillips roadmap, <laughs> right. But, uh, um, we got, we bought an airplane, learned how to fly. And, uh, I, I remember he bought a little, I don't know, hundred dollar GPS, but he, I was not allowed to use it. I, my first six, 700 hours in the thing said, you got, uh, you got view wars, you, you have your sectionals, uh, ADF. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have an ADF at that, oh, no. that time. The ADS was starting to phase out, but, yeah. uh, um, he said, uh, when we go places, you're going to plot, you're going to plan We're we're going to do all the calculations like you would, uh, and, uh, was, was held at that, that high standard very early on, like we were just talking about. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I just, I laughed today at, at the kids with the, the G 1000 and the, the GPSs and, uh, the iPads now with the moving maps. It's like, guys, just get in the airplane and go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we, we've talked about that uh, in an earlier episode where when you get endorsed or you get your, your rating to be an instrument a pilot, um, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays people are, like you said, they have the, the Avondale system, they got the G1000 system, and so they're on a glass cockpit, which is great if you want to progress to an airline career because you're not going to have to relearn a scan per se. But that endorsement says that you can fly any aircraft on a, a non-commercial level on your initial private instrument in an instrument IFR scenario in IMC conditions. And so what is stopping you? You've done all your training in a modern, like say a Cirrus or a, a, a 
172 with the G1000 in it. And now you've got your rated, and now you have a buddy over there at the at the airport and says, "Hey man, let's go take my uh, my VTEL Bonanza and go down uh, to a quick flight 200 miles away for lunch." And you're like, "Great, uh, but the weather's kind of sucky, so let's let's go IFR." Oh, I'm IFR rated, great. And you get in there, and it's a traditional six pack with no GPS, VOR receivers, and you're like, oh, um, yeah, I could do this. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. So nope. I know that uh, I, I've had a few friends with the FAA that have been talking about changing the way they're certifying pilots with instrument ratings. Um, there was talk about you have to get your traditional six-pack add-on or the glass interpretation of instrument add-on after you get your initial. Um, that hasn't really come, out come yet. to fruition yet um, because I don't think there's been enough call for that because it, it's kind of a – pilots are really good about knowing their limits right. in general. Yeah. So there is that. And plus, you know, airplanes are expensive, so no one's going to just say, hey, I get in my airplane, no problem, go ahead, uh, knowing that, well, do you have experience in this aircraft? Well, no. Okay. So there is that. But it is a very dangerous thing, and that's something that I, I, I really like the Squawk Ident listeners to understand. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's safe. So, But it's great that, that you were pushed into learning the old school way, the hard way of doing things first, because that really built a very strong foundation of your knowledge yes. to build on. And that, that's part of the, uh, the, the things that I tell a lot of the, the newer pilots, the newer generation is have a pilot, go, do, go do it in a six pack instrument, do it in your six pack. It's much easier to learn uh, glass after you get your instrument rating in the six pack or your private in a six pack than it is going from a G, uh, an inch, uh, G1000 down to a six pack. Yeah. So it just, it will benefit you in a long run because let's, let's be honest. Um, a lot of these newer airplanes now, uh, a lot of these newer GA airplanes now uh, are, are very uh, expensive so the average Joe isn't going to go out and spend, you know, half a million dollars for a, a brand new G1000 172. You're going to go spend it on a 60, 70, maybe even an 80s model, which guess yeah. what is a six pack. <laughs> right. And I have two packages. So, That's the 172. That's yeah, me, baby. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, uh, um, that's, that's what I tell everybody nowadays. It, it'll benefit you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, so so you here you are. You built your earliest memories uh, with your father and your private pilot quest, you know, to get your ratings. And so we kind of really talked about what planted the seed is. You've you've come from a family. You you were engulfed in the industry in the culture of aviation, and you got up to your first solo, which mm -hmm. is a very traumatic experience, whether it goes perfectly or not so much. Um, and I remember my first solo, I mean, every aviator, you ask them even 30, even 40 years down the road, do you remember your first solo? Absolutely. Most of them can tell you the end number of the aircraft, the airport, the time of day, the date, you know, I mean, it's a very traumatic experience. And I mean that, you know, in a positive way, but it's very nerve wracking. Um, do you remember your first solo? How was it for you? Yes, I do. Uh, so I, 
soloed on my 16th birthday. I soloed before I went and uh, got my driver's license. So I, I have something to say about that. Uh, I remember it, uh, uh, front just came through that evening. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it, but, uh, uh, front came through, uh, and, uh, uh, we just went out to the airport and dad and I started flying. Then, uh, all of a sudden, uh, he got out, said, uh, you feel comfortable going and sure. So, uh, went around the patch. Uh, Northwest Regional 52 Foxtrot, which is a, a 3,500 foot by 40. Obstacles, trees on the south side, and a big hill on the north side. So it's uh, uh, it makes a lot of people nervous. But uh, I flew in and out of there a lot, so I felt very comfortable and uh, got out and did my through. I told him instead of doing touch and goes, I'm going to do stop and goes uh, at that point. And that's what I did. I went around the pattern, came out to uh, uh, stop, taxi back, and took off again. I think I did four or five of them before I taxied it back to the hangar. And, uh, there were my my family was there. Uh, another mentor was there that uh, I, I flew with them quite a bit. Uh, uh, John Willison and uh, had a cake for me and uh, I cut my shirt off and wrote the date in and it was a it was a unbelievable uh experience and uh memory for me yeah so that's awesome you know <laughs> and so most most people don't understand that when you do your first solo your training's not over you're still no. you have to do quite a bit of training you, you do your full what's the minimum on a first solo? i don't even know anymore is it 10 hours or 15 hours something oh, like I don't, that i don't yeah i think it might be 10 i'm not 100 percent sure it's yeah. been so ago and i know the regs have changed a little bit and yeah. it depends on the school and you know, their insurance and everything but I, I believe it's about 10 yeah so you're um, you know here you are with a dozen hours or so and you go and you do your first solo it's very nerve-wracking even for your instructor always right. um, i've yeah. been that instructor so yeah <laughs> i know how that goes <laughs> uh and, and we did a show with uh, actually my very first solo endorsement who is now a legacy airlines fo uh jean michael yeah so go back and take a look at that one that's a you know he had i cut his t-shirt and yeah like you said you know you you, you write the date on it and a little drawing of the airplane the, the biggest feeling with that is you just you don't know what's coming uh, you, you don't know what's coming all of a sudden the instructor's getting out of the airplane you know they're at the at the end of the the runway or you know middle hey stop here on the taxiway and getting out and yeah. where are you going oh you you get to take it around the patch yeah so that's the best way to do it because yeah. if you if you're you get so nervous you don't sleep the night before you know mm -hmm. you and you're and you know so much pressure so that's always the best way to do it and i remember with some of my students they're like am i gonna solo tomorrow i'm like no probably not i i don't know if i feel comfortable yet and then they'd show up and in the middle of the lesson you're like all right let's do a stop over here and i want you to pull off the side okay i'm gonna get out here's my radio go ahead go for it like what really i'm like yeah now you can have fun <laughs> yeah yeah so make it nervous yeah and so your flight training went on uh what were some of the biggest challenges with that initial uh rating um finding uh an instructor to be honest with you um besides uh, the father uh him and i got you know, the typical father son deal during about anything, you know, you get a little feud about something, but, yeah. uh, 
um, just find an instructor because uh, when I was learning how to fly um, uh, right after 9-11, so there wasn't a whole lot of flying going on. Yeah, 2001 was a very tough time to, uh, to fly yeah, anything. Yeah. And yeah. the instructors uh, couldn't find an instructor because nobody, nobody was flying. Yeah. So that was just it. So uh, I found a few um, older, retired guys that uh, uh, were happy to work with me. Um, and it was funny. Everybody we were talking to about it uh, told my dad, like, why is he getting an aviation? He's not going to have a job. He's like, well, uh, you know, people have to retire and we're going to get through this at, at some point. Just don't know when. And now's the time to do it. So, uh, just, uh, kept on trucking with it. Yeah. And did you get your private by the time you graduated from high school? Yes. Yep. Got it, uh, 17 around my 17th birthday. Yeah. And then, uh, right after the private, um, uh, airplane partner, uh, Rob Bowen at that time in the 172, uh, my dad and him were going back and forth about a twin uh to start traveling the the country per se uh you know instead of the hundred dollar hamburger it was the two hundred dollar hamburger right but uh so went and uh did my uh, private uh multi add-on right after that and then uh the uh bought the airplane in 2008 the baron in 55 baron 2008 and uh went and uh mainly did the uh uh, instrument in that airplane mm -hmm. in the Baron, and then right after that, uh, yeah, I, I knocked out both of those seventeen. And then right when I turned eighteen, I went and did my uh, commercial uh, multi, yeah, uh, and then a follow up with the commercial single add on uh, yeah. shortly after that. And the steps you took are is very interesting because a lot of times, especially Part One Forty One schools, they'll have you do your private single, private instrument single. Then they'll have you come back and do your private multi, private multi instrument. Then they'll have you come back to your commercial single, commercial multi, commercial multi, you know, instrument, all this stuff. And you're like, wow, this is a lot of money and ratings. And I think the the path you took is the path that I usually try to recommend people to do is to do the add-on with the multi right away. Is is really a good cost savings and it's great experience with a multi-engine airplane right away. You get to get to do all the VMC information demos. Um, you get into, cause most multis are going to be complex. So you're dealing with a lot all at once. And then it's kind of easier to go back and just do your instrument because, you know, and, and your time building in your multi, which is really the key to get a job is you need multi-engine time. So you're, the, the fact that you had uh, a father and a, and your father's friend that were partners on this Baron that c you could build time in and do your cross countries in and, and time building really was a wonderful, intelligent way to do it. Um, I yeah. highly encourage people to, to research that before they just go to some flight school, you know, get a loan or throw them a bunch of money and say, okay, I'm ready. I want to tell me what to do. Well, do the, do the research because there's other ways to do it. And there's I think other ways to do it. And, you know, what I, at the flight schools for multi-engine time per hour, depending on the airplane, it's anywhere from 300 to 600 an hour just to rent the airplane. Right. So at that point, if you can find, there's a lot of 
older twins out nowadays that you can get for cheap. And if you get a few partners, a partner or two in it and uh, split the cost and then, you know, put gas in it, you're going to be well on top uh, than going and spending, you know, five to $7,000 for multi-engine time. Right. So uh, you may as well get something out of the, out of the deal and um, fly to $200 hamburger somewhere and uh, take the family somewhere or a little short weekend getaway trip. So there's a, there's always a a plus. And then when you're ready to sell it, um, you got kind of got to look at it as an investment. Uh, You know, a lot of them, they're like cars. Uh, most of them will hold their value depending on what you put in it. But at the end of the day, you still got to put money into it in order to hold that value. Right. So you're spending some money, but at the end of the day, it was well worth doing it. Yeah. It's like a boat, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. it's like a money pit. But yeah. when you're getting something out of it, like time building and flight training, then you can turn around and sell it or, or yeah. buy, get sell out of your partnership. So mm-hmm. there's, there's other ways of doing things. I just want to make that clear. Um, you progressed into uh, Tarrant County College, did this, some time there. Were you working on flight ratings while you were there as well? Uh, somewhat. Um, so during high school, um, I, I mainly got all my ratings during high school. And my time building, I flew for a broker company uh, here locally in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, moving airplanes around, picking up airplanes, moving them to the, the different shops and uh, delivering them. Um, the, the reason I went to the Tarrant County was not only, uh, I can continue flying for the broker company, but we just started getting into, uh, turbines, uh, selling, uh, citations and King airs. So, uh, things of that nature. And, uh, a lot of these, uh, buyers didn't have crews. So, um, not only the, the community college was a lot cheaper, uh, but I had a lot more flexibility with my schedule here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So if, if people needed a, a, a crew for that, we, we crewed a lot of airplanes while the, the owners were uh, buying or uh, were hiring crews. We were kind of the, the, the middle of that while they were working on that. Yeah. Uh, so did community college for two years and then uh, from there transferred up to Oklahoma State University. And uh, was only there for a year and a half, but finished out with a uh, a uh, aviation management degree and a minor in professional pilot. Um, so uh, Oklahoma State was great. Um, everybody was friendly up there. A little different program than it is today. I, I do highly recommend it. Um, back when I was there, we had airplane uh, older 152s and older 172s, and I. I we had a duchess and just some oddball stuff, but uh, now uh, they have brand new G1000 172s. The 152s, they did retrofit them. They did put a Garmin 430 in those. Oh, wow. The big, uh, big step for that airplane. Yeah. And then uh, they have some newer uh, uh, Piper Seminoles that they're using for multi-time. And uh, talk to uh, the the update that I got through them. Uh, last year was they just brought in some uh, Cirrus SR20s. Okay. Uh, some uh, advanced glass cockpit training, cross countries, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. And I, I, I think they are using that for uh, high performance training as well. So nice. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that whole time you were, I mean, I did the same thing. I went to a community college. I did that two years, transferred into a state university in San Francisco uh, mm-hmm. as a junior. And man, I saved a lot of money. It's, it's, it's yep. actually, I highly recommend it, especially now with everything that's going on and the schools and how expensive they are to get a degree that you may or may not find a yeah. job in that class. You know, it, it's a smart way of doing it, I think. Um, so you you ended up you did the broker for a while. Uh, you moved airplanes around, and after you graduated from Oklahoma State, were you actually working as a simulator pilot? Tell me about that. Yes. So um, at that time, uh, that's when the whole new ATP rule came out where you had to be 23, you had to have 1,500 hours total time. Uh, I met all the requirements except the age of 23. Uh, Asked a few different FISDOs if we could get a waiver. So I uh, was looking at American Eagle at that time, which is now Envoy, uh, and uh, none of the FISDOs would give me a letter to go to American Eagle. So, um, and at that time, everybody was in limbo of how they were going to proceed with the new ATP role. So at that time, uh, looked at sea simula- uh, semi-flight uh, as a supporting crew member of SIMP in today's airline world. And I was a seat fill for the uh, Citation 650 and the Citation 560 XL. And uh, from there, met uh, many people, many contacts, uh, had a great time doing it, seat filling, uh, seeing everybody's different view of aviation, flew with pilots all over the world on how they operated. It was, it was a very great experience. It was a great experience getting uh, into the checklist, emergency procedures, how well you work with a, a team member. It's a little different with the corporate charter world because they're usually the uh, working with the, the few guys in their flight department so they know how everybody works um it was great working with them and seeing how they operated their cockpits um and how they uh, handled situations like that so a lot of a lot of great experience from there and then uh from there i went and uh, got my first uh charter job for club marketing services which was the middleman for walmart and sam's club by the way, hello, Brent, and uh, uh, chief pilot of the airplane, uh, still there. But we did a lot of charter for uh, uh, Century Aviation, uh, did a lot of charter for uh, Caesars Casino, covered the Midwest for Louisiana, did Vegas, Atlantic City. That was a uh, Citation 650, um, which would bring me into a story with that. So my father, uh, uh, 737 legacy Czech airman, uh, at that time, um, sat next to the gentleman that owned the airplane on one of his deadheading flights down from Chicago. And, uh, the conversation started, uh, I think, uh, my father was reading something on beach or something that day. And, uh, uh, the guy asked if we had, a uh, an airplane, and you know the typical aviator says yeah you know started the conversation and the, the gentleman said uh he had an airplane as well and uh father started asking him questions about it and turned out it was a citation 650 a private jet so um he gave him uh he, my father told him what i was doing and uh gave him uh 
Dalton, which was the owner, uh, gave my dad the chief pilot's card, Brent, at that time and said they didn't know if they were hiring, but to give him a call and uh, called him. And uh, while I was still working as a SMP, and uh, they said they weren't hiring at that at that particular moment. However, you know, if something came up in the future, to, to let let uh, let me know. And um, I don't know about three four months later, they. Brent called and, Hey, are you interested? And, uh, I think our, one of our guys are, is leaving. Um, I was like, sure. So we went and met him. Both my father and I went down to Dallas executive, which was the old Redbird uh, for the, the DFW natives here. And, uh, uh, went and looked at the airplane. It was an old six pack, yeah. uh, jet for all the, the new listeners out there, the, the newer generation pilots. Um, had an older FMS in it and, uh, just, it was a cool airplane. Um, and, uh, uh had a big grin ear to ear and said, you know, when do I, when do I start? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, and, and that, that's kind of how that, uh, how that escalated with, with them. And then, uh, from there, from uh, century aviation, went to uh millionaire Dallas for a short period, flew Terry Bradshaw's airplane. He had a uh, citation XL. Um, uh, between Century and uh, uh, Millionaire, uh, they both typed me on the airplane. So I was a captain. I flew captain on the 91 legs. The 135 at that time, the Argus minimums was was about 5,000 hours oh, somewhere wow. in there. So yeah, the 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 times was 911. The 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 higher the times, the cheaper the insurance is, right? So right. Um, unfortunately, uh. PIC time at that point was, uh, uh, wasn't flying a, a enough P for the PIC time, uh, for the Argus minimums, but I did fly PIC on the 91 legs, which is, we had quite a few 91 legs on, on both of the places, but anyway, so flew, flew there at millionaire, uh, Terry Bradshaw's airplane. He did, he did fly a lot. And, uh, for all you Terry Bradshaw listeners, he t tunes it down for TV, loves to sing, have a conversation with anybody. Um, uh, and that, that was the best thing about flying him was it, it didn't matter who you were. He would sit there and have a 15 minute conversation. That was, that was the worst thing about flying him was he, he, uh, um, uh, he talked to everybody, which was great. Not, no complaining. Um, Did you have to explain sterile cockpit to him. <laughs> well, it was funny. A lot of times he would come up while, you know, we're, we're in, in, uh, cruise just to chat or. Uh, when we're descending, talk to us. And uh, I remember one time we were, I think we were dropping him off in LA. And he came up to the, the cockpit, started talking to us. And I think we're descending through 18,000 feet. And he's just chatting away. And we're like, Terry, we, we're, we're busy in LA airspace and we're dropping him off at LAX. Oh. We could take uh, Legacy uh, out to Hawaii because the, uh, the XL couldn't make it uh, uh -huh. in LA. So, um, uh, we had to talk him, uh, talk him out of the cockpit a few times there on the descent to yeah. get busy and uh, things of that nature. But uh, he he was great to fly. And then uh, from there, and he did fly a lot. Um, and then from there, got the opportunity to uh, be an official captain at uh, Holly Frontier, which is an oil gas refinery company out of Dallas Love Field. They had a, a Citation XLS. Uh, which is a, a newer version of the uh, XL, um, same type, and then uh, eventually into the G4. Uh, so I was there for about two years nice. at uh, Holly Frontier. 
and then uh, talking to my mentor, my father, and uh, other airline uh, pilots at that time. Uh, they were talking about, uh, well, Kyle, you need to get some 121 time if you can get it. And uh, I looked back at going to American Eagle, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to take a, a big pay, a bigger pay cut. Uh, than I would. Uh, so I had the opportunity to uh, go to JetBlue. Apply yeah, to and JetBlue. Tell me a little bit about that process. I mean, a lot of people, I've flown with a lot of pilots over the years that like, oh, I got my application everywhere and they're not calling me and I don't know what's going on. Talk to us a little bit about that process. How, you know, so you're, whatever you're doing, flight instructor, you know, corporate, part 91, whatever you're doing. A lot of it is to, to keep your apps updated with your times, uh, to check in with the people. A, a lot of this business, just like any business, is, is who you know. Um, checking in with people. I did go to a lot of uh, job uh, conferences, um, talk, talk to everybody. I probably talked to the JetBlue people, uh, uh, HR department, I don't know, uh, five times. Wow. And uh, eventually uh, got picked out of the, the group to get called. Mm. Um, and I want to tell guys too, uh, or other pilots too, don't get don't get discouraged about it. Uh, I did did plight uh, uh, Spirit and Frontier. Got a call from Frontier, but it just it didn't it didn't for me. It didn't feel like the right move for me. It did it. it I didn't feel like I would fit in with that group there per se. So turn them down and then spirit uh, never got a phone call many buddies walked in resumes there and they're doing great there now that are captains over there and excellent contract and they treat the the crews very well there um just never got a phone call yeah. and then uh, JetBlue called me and um took it felt felt uh, i felt um at home when i walked in to the interview there at JetBlue in orlando uh, they had a, a brand new facility, um, brand new training, a lot of new, it was a, still a new airline started in 2001, which are the, uh, they did uh, a lot of the old American and Delta routes on the, the East Coast mm -hmm. and a lot of the, a uh, couple of the Transcon routes, but their bread and butter is the East Coast right now. Um, but, uh, walked in, uh, a lot of guys in the interview class were similar. They had a they had guys with all different backgrounds, military, um, uh, regional, corporate, charter, um, cargo. Um, we, there were some foreign airlines in there that I've never heard of. And uh, just uh, a lot of places uh, like to hire off, uh, you know, personality. Can I, can I get, can I get along with you on a four day trip without having to kill you? Right. So, you know, and that's the uh, most important part of the interview, I think, is they, yeah. they check to see if hate to say it, but they check to see if you're an asshole, you know? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it, are you cool? You're cool to hang out with? Are you laid back? Or does it feel like you got to stick up your butt <laughs> when I'm talking to you and putting you in a frustrating exactly. scenario, you know? Can we go have a beer on the layover and talk about something and not, you know, end up in a fist fight at the end of the trip? Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> So it, uh, um, you know, during the JetBlue interview, it was great. And uh, a lot of, a lot of great guys out of there that are still there. And uh, um, JetBlue is a great company. Don't get me wrong. But uh, in, in my heart, if I had to, it, I'll, if, if I had to stay at JetBlue, I'd still be there today. 
Um, in my heart, I've always wanted to go to Legacy to fly uh, with uh, my father on his last retirement flighter. That's always been a, a goal for me. And what is what equipment is he on right now? A seven thirty seven. Okay, so Still eventually you're going to have to get. Yeah, and he he's a Czech airman on it, so I don't I don't know if he's going to swap over. But uh, and you know I've I've never flown the seven three. I've I've flown the Airbus to just be another type rating and. Yeah. older airplane to go fly uh, just another other uh checkbox right but uh, um uh we'll, we'll see what happens you know I, I do like the airbus there's some pros and cons to it over the 7.3 obviously but uh um we'll, we'll see what happens yeah and that's where we met you know here we were in and as we mentioned earlier in new hire training class which i've got to admit um i haven't been to many carriers but the the few that I've flown for, the training that I received at Legacy from day one it felt like a gentleman's course. I mean, we were treated so well, and I really, you know, my hat's off to them. Uh, we walked in, and we were in the auditorium for most of our initial training, and, you know, big room with a lot of people either being recalled from furlough or new hires or coming off of some leave of absence or something. And so here we all are together, this really diverse group of aviators. And that's where we met. Um, yep. And what do you remember from those first few days that really stood out? How, how was your experience, in other words? Well, my first few days, I was, I was ecstatic. I was, you know, I can't believe I'm at my dream legacy airline. And I, I was in heaven, to be honest with you. Um, got walking in and people knowing who I was, even though I, I met them at a younger age, it was absolute uh, I don't even know the word to describe it, but it was, it was, it was amazing walking in. It, it was family right off the bat. Um, and I didn't realize how big of an impact that my father has had at the legacy airlines, um, uh, coming in. So, I um, uh, this is a dream come true. I have big shoes to fill here, uh, going forward. And uh, like you said, it, uh, right off the bat, we were treated as a, a, a gentleman's club. Uh, walking in, everything was uh, stress-free. Uh, if you needed anything, you let them know. It seemed like everybody worked with you. And uh, uh, I, I couldn't be happier with the process. Uh, I, can, I can tell you from talking to the, the, uh, the older generation that have been here for a long time that that. that uh, they had a little bit different back when, uh, when they started. So they've, they've, they've made, uh, the process much better, much more relaxed than it used to be. Yeah. And, uh, uh I, I think that's, that's a big thing of, uh, learning for instance, uh, when you're in a stress environment, um, there's not going to be any learning that takes place, stress environment or, uh, uh, yeah, that negative learning aspect, you know, that was around when they had the traditional training, but now with the advanced qualified program or the AQP program where everyone's learning from the same book, from the same set of questions, from the same set. You don't have to rebuild the airplane anymore. 
You know, you don't need to <laughs> memorize a hundred limitations. You just need to know the basics and everything else as long as it's in the green. If it's not in the green, what do you do? Um, it's, this has become a little bit more realistic interpretation of the difference between flight training and being on the flight line. It used to always be, well, this is the way we do it in the schoolhouse. When you get to the line, it's, you know, you'll worry about, you'll learn that later. But at the schoolhouse, this is how we're going to do, you know? And now it's like, well, we're going to do this here. So it's, when you're out on the line, it's identical. There's no, you know, lost in translation. There's no interpretation. This is the way it's going to be. And you're, this is the way we want you to do it on the line. So you didn't have to jump through those flaming hoops anymore when you came to training. You know, you, you just, you, you get to your, your fence post or your, your, your corners, uh, you do your, your procedures, your call outs, your profiles identically the way you do them on the line. And there's a more positive transfer of learning now. And that's that relaxed state that you were talking about. I absolutely agree with it. It's definitely, at least in the, in the 20 years that I've been, uh, can say I haven't been a pilot, um, I've definitely seen this progression improve. So that's definitely good to hear. Um, a couple of days into our training, the company had us invite our family um, to come down to Dallas and stay with us for a very special welcoming dinner uh, with the uh, executives of the company, with the leaders in our flight department, and uh, we got to all sit down, and that was the day that they pinned our wings on us, or handed us our wings, and they handed our significant others wings as well, if, if you brought your significant other or family or what have you. Um, when you stood up at the dinner, when they called your name, there were a lot of emotional responses. And what can you tell me about that? Why was it so wonderful? Uh, just that uh, father was able to pen the wings on me, uh, just to continue his legacy, uh, but also to start mine. And uh, just with, with all the hard work, to, to get to that spot and being able to do that and uh, being able to uh, eventually fly with them at some point uh, that really hits home. And so um, just seeing that, uh, that transition of, you know, uh, out with the old and with the new uh, pilots per se, um, it, it was a very good feeling. I still get teary eyed just talking about it and seeing the pictures, but, uh, just, uh, seeing, uh, what my father's done for me and, uh, what I will be doing for him in the future by continuing his, uh, our name, our, our, our family name. Cause, uh, yeah, if I do anything stupid, uh, you know, I, at some point it's going to get back to him and then I'm going <laughs> to shoot out somewhere down the line. No so pressure. It, no pressure. Exactly. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. So yeah. it, it was, it was, it was a great feeling. And, uh, like I said earlier, I just, I didn't realize how many people that, uh, father was connected with. Everybody knew him and essentially everybody knew me because when I was working on my ratings, that's who he talked about me working on my ratings and, you know, my goals to, to get to uh, a legacy uh, carrier. And so uh, it, it finally happened. And, uh, you know, I, the big part of it was go ahead and pinning everybody's 
wings uh, for that was that they they believed in us. Uh, finishing training, getting through training, uh, everybody's different on that aspect, um, and uh, that uh, it, it was it was a very good feeling. It was a very very proud father son moment. Uh, wife, my wife, my mom moment, and uh, um, uh, great, great experience. Yeah, uh, there were there was many, many uh, people had their tissues out because um, normally the director of flight ops came, they shook your hand, you know, got your wings, right? Thank you for being here, and you know, so on and so forth. A photo op, you know, and then uh, he stopped and said, "All right, we're on this next." Uh, on this next pinning of the wings, we are going to hand over the wings to a very special individual who is is here. He's going to be pinning his wings on a very special new hire. And yeah, there was not a try. I in the house, were, and all of us were like, holy crap. We, a lot of us didn't know that was going to happen. We were just like, wow, that is so cool. So yeah, um, very special moment. Uh, I thank you for for yep. uh, sharing that with us. It was it was special for me being there to see that. Um, but I think a lot of the people there at Legacy knew you not just through your father, but through your involvement with your dad, with your aircraft, your your Baron, um, because you were involved years earlier with the Snowball Foundation, yep. and which has now become the Gary Sinise Foundation, and your. Your family's baron is a very, very special uh, memorial. Uh, what can you tell me about that? How did that get started? Well, it, it started with an idea back in 2014. So Rob Bowen, uh, the, the airplane partner at the time, uh, retired legacy airline uh, pilot. Um, it was friends with uh, uh, Jim Kaiser, which is another retired legacy uh, airline pilot, which retired as a fleet captain at our uh, at our legacy airline. Uh-huh. And uh, at that point, um, the Snowball Express was ran through our airline. Um, and the idea came around back in 2014 of, hey, uh, we've, been, we've been thinking about doing some sort of flying memorial. We can fly it to fly-ins, fundraisers, stuff to raise money for the organization. So uh, that was 2014. Three years later, um, it was finally, everything was uh, be, uh, worked out for it. Um, and that's when uh, it was funny. That's when uh, a third partner came in, Bill Henderson, which is another legacy uh, airline pilot, and uh, uh, and we we took it up to Gainesville to get painted. So part of the deal was to get painted. Uh, the I don't know if you got a picture of it right there, but uh, uh, to get painted the legacy airline colors, uh, with the, the decals of, uh, all the fallen military members since 2001. And so at that time, uh, picked the airplane up from the paint shop, uh, 2017 ish and, uh, picked it up at that point. I think we had about 7,500 names on there. Wow. 7,300. Yeah. It was a little over 7,000 names on it. And uh, at that point, uh, we started uh, lining up clients and uh, uh, fundraisers and stuff. The, the original plan was to fly it 
all over the country um, at all or all of the uh, hub cities for the legacy airline mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and do fundraisers. And uh, so this thing got underway. Um, the, the guys that were running it at the time, they were, they weren't very familiar with the GA flying on how it kind of worked and uh, things of that nature. Uh, we were asked to fly to a couple different military bases, which for the listeners out there, it's very difficult getting a GA airplane into a military base, uh, getting shot at. <laughs> so just a lot of the paperwork that was involved with that. Um, however, um, uh, some of the airports that they they picked it uh it didn't go through i i guess i guess the organization backed out or whoever i don't, I don't know who they, pretty much they told us where it needed to go and yeah. we took it there okay. um been up to oshkosh uh last couple of years it's been to the uh big one here in dfw the military ball for the fundraiser mm-hmm. um i did send you a picture on that to the front yep. page yeah uh, i'll be putting that in the uh, on the website there so um sure. it, it's 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 been a uh, very uh great thing to do for for the family and uh we've, the alliance air show the air shows it um the feeling of the family members walking up to the airplane and seeing somebody that they uh a family member on the side of it or uh, a friend of theirs um yeah, we get a lot of uh, teary-eyed uh, people but uh, um, there's about 8,000 names on it now. Um, it's continuing to do uh, stuff around uh, for clients here in the North Texas. And I uh, think it might be going to Oshkosh again uh, whenever, uh, probably next year. 2021, yeah. Yeah, yeah. everybody's doing 2021 now. Yeah. Uh, or that. So um, it's raised money. It's been a good tool. Uh, Gary Sinise Foundation, I believe that's .org. Um, but people can go on there and donate, uh, to the families. It's very good calls. Um, and, uh, just letting those families know that, uh, uh, we won't forget, uh, their sacrifice for, for their country, for our country today. We will hear more from Kyle, the flying memorial to the fallen Baron, the Facebook page that he created aviation business information board and the aviation mentor programs and cadet programs all right after the break. And I'll put uh, all that information in the show notes at the at the bottom of your podcast player. You can click on the show notes. Um, there'll be a link there for that wonderful uh, organization. Um, also, I'm going to put a link in the show notes in regards to an article that I found uh, from EAA.org, uh, more specifically inspire.eaa.org. Uh, and it's an article entitled Flying Memorial to the Fallen uh, from July of 2018. And it shows pictures there. I'll also have pictures on the website. But um, on there, you know, there's a a part in the article where it talks about how one of the guests, the little girl, put a rock on the wingtip on one of the displays when it was out there. Um, And, you know, they they thought it was kind of strange uh, that she did that, that she just 
left a rock on the wing and walked away. And uh, so Jim Kaiser uh, saw that she did this, and he's quoted as saying, he picked up the rock, and it's one of those you know traveling rocks, and everywhere they would go, they would post a picture of it on Facebook with the rock. And after a while, um, her mother saw the photo on Facebook and reached out, and <laughs> they found out that her father had died um, and in, in military service, and that those pictures of the rock traveling around with the memorial aircraft uh, really helped her deal with that loss. It is stories like this and organizations like these and your work with your family that really is a tribute, as little as it may be, to the sacrifices that our men and women have given to defending this country that makes it all worth it. It's just, you know, an amazing organization. My hat's off to you and your family for being a part of it, for the aircraft is just really awesome to look at. Um, what it represents is so powerful. Um, I was imagining just the other day, um, we, we were talking about you know, the aircraft. We've talked about the aircraft before. Um, and I was just imagining the responsibility of flying that airplane to ensure that it is well taken care of, that every flight goes off without a hitch, must be an astronomical weight on the, the pilot's shoulders, whoever's flying it. Um, and the events, the, the organization that it takes to, to be a part of these events, you know, I really have to say, especially to all the listeners out there, you know, look into it, um, reach out. If you can give financially, the Gary Sinise Foundation is a wonderful foundation. My family gives to it every year. Every little bit helps, you know, and it's the least we can do, you know, for all the men and women that, that have sacrificed the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we can be free and we can be yep. safe, you know. And thank you so much for, for sharing that, for sharing that story with us. Um, and you actually have gotten into... A little bit of a, an entrepreneurial adventure now uh, with Facebook as well. Yes. Uh, you know, you you started a page not too long ago, actually, uh, the Aviation Business Information Board um, yes. on Facebook, and it has it's almost like a a news cycle. I love it. <laughs> it's all links to stories uh, about our aviation industry, especially now during this you know, you know pandemic that we're going through. That it's really affected us even more so than 9-11. You know, depending on who you listen to, this is affecting the world bigger than all these events in history. And, and I know I don't mean to make light of it, but, you know, this is, this is a bigger division since uh, the Civil War. And uh, come on. I mean, but it affects us directly. And now it's become my go-to place to, to click on links and articles. And I know right now you're talking to me, so I don't think there are any posts going up. But as soon as we're done, I'm sure there'll be a new one. Um, tell me, how did you get into this? What, what made you get this idea? Well, it was when all this pandemic started, the, the, the flying was still there. The customers dropped off. Uh, a lot of friends were worrying about, are we going to have a, a job here in the next couple months? You know, what are we going to do? Um, things of that nature. And this, this started out as a Facebook message group um, talking to, I don't know, I think the initials 
people were about 10 people and it was uh, it was information, uh, new information. It, it seemed like it came out by the every 10 minutes uh, about something involving uh, not only our career, but uh, the worldwide health uh, stuff. And uh, um, and instead of it drove my wife nuts because it uh, it started off with people calling me every hour talking about it. You know, we were on the phone for an hour talking through the X, Y, and Z variables and what's going to happen. Are we going to be on the street? Nobody's going to have a job. The world's ending, you name it. So started this, this messenger and then eventually 10 people turned into 20 people because more people were asking about information than 20 people turned into 30 people. And then at that point I said, listen, wait, I'm going to need to make a, a Facebook group. I don't, Hey, I don't know how many people we can invite in this Facebook messenger and throughout the night, you know, your phone's going off with, you know, people having their opinions <laughs> on something or whatnot. So, yeah. the, so the, the Facebook group's a little bit more quiet, but uh, uh, I made it for, information going around uh, not only the airline sector the uh, the private charter sector uh, we have many members that uh, are, are non-pilots we have flight attendants mechanics dispatchers a lot of aviation uh, enthusiasts in the group um, that uh, it, it kind of keeping everybody in the loop on on how things are, are going because believe it or not um, the, the to make one airplane move at the, the upper level, there's tons of involvement with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it surely does affect everybody. So I, I made it a way to, you know, kind of keep everybody's stress level down, even though some nights my stress levels through the roof with, you know, what I didn't want to hear that day, but yeah. uh, that's, that's just life. And uh, that, that's why I kind of have a positive outcome on a lot of things. You just, you can't, there's no work. There's no point of stressing over something that you have no control over. Um, so this group came out and uh, um, every day it sounded better than the, uh, uh, the money came out for the airlines and everybody gets to keep their jobs in six months. And, uh, for six months and uh, it seems like every day uh we hear good news we hear bad news but uh more on the the good news side of the fence um and uh and like like i've told a lot of pilots here in the u.s that um i think we'll bounce back first i think that's part of the economy and uh you just look at the other countries that didn't that didn't get that assistance that uh, our companies did here i think that they want our economy to boom quicker than theirs and uh just look at a lot of these airlines um you know they're shrinking and a lot of the partners who's going to be who's going to have to pick up that flying at some point if right. they don't have crews furloughs it's it it costs a lot of money to furlough and a lot of people don't realize that and if um there there's a time limit and the time limit changes on the airline and stuff so i'm not i'm not even going to say the time load on here but um it's expensive to furlough and if if it's a short-term furlough it doesn't make any sense um if it's going to be a couple years three four years down the road it might make sense but um yeah at the end of the day i don't i don't think uh uh it'll take that long to get get the economy rolling again yeah and so out of the the last say 48 hours what has been the most impressive story that you've seen uh, I've been, I, every day, the, the TSA, the TSA numbers, 
um, they come back and it seems like the, the trend is upwards every week. It's anywhere I've seen low as 15% up to 35%. I think it was the highest number I've seen for the trend numbers. And yeah, they, it's kind of like the stock market. It goes up and down every day. You know, don't, you don't go crazy over it, but, uh, um, but that, that's the good news for, for, for the rest of the, uh, uh, airline industry per se, mm-hmm. uh, with the, the passenger count. And then I've seen, uh, um, other, other airlines, uh, down, uh, in Australia, for instance, at Qantas, um, they aren't, uh, projected for layoffs, but they're, um, I think they're gonna have, I think they're going to take a pay cut, but they didn't get the financial assistance as most of these airlines have done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in the airline sector, the private sector, uh, back when 2001 hit, uh, 2001 to 2008, uh, the private sector of flying, uh, picked up a lot quicker than it did than the airlines did just, and that had to do more on the long lines of, uh, the airline schedules, uh, what time flights are going out and going in and, uh, business, uh, it's time is money in the business sector. So quicker you can get to meeting and maybe you can hit, you know, a couple meetings in a day on, you know, one of the coasts before you come back. Um, yeah, the, the, the private sector is going to come back a little quicker uh, since yeah. the airline service is still uh, at a reduced schedule. So been, been seeing, been seeing all different parts of the industry starting to come back um, rising. And uh, um, you know, like I said, I, uh, you can't worry about it. You have no control over it. No right. point in stressing about it. Have a, have a good, uh, uh, attitude about things. And, uh, that, that, that goes a long way when you're talking to somebody that's stressed out and, um, freaking out about things. So, yeah. um, you know, so that, that's why I started the page and we're up to, I think we're up to about 520 members now. Ah. Um, so we have quite a, quite a few, people i probably know about half of them and then uh the other half other other people other members invited uh them to the the group Mm -hmm. and uh um you know uh, information for everybody uh to see and uh hopefully uh calm some stress levels down a little bit yeah yeah and it's great to have one place to go i know there are plenty of other websites out there and there's plenty of other opportunities to you know, get your information, but this seems to be what I like about it. It seems to be very aviation specific and not, it's not like the negative stuff. It's not like accident reports and it's not like the doom and gloom. You know, you team, you seem to have found the knack on finding the positive stories, the most insightful um, and, and most accurate stories possible. And then you're, all you're doing is saying, okay, I found a good story. Here's a place to find it. It happens to be on Facebook. Um, the group's page uh, name is Aviation Business Information Board. Like you said, 518 members currently. It's a private group, so you have to request to join. Um, you'll be vetted appropriately, yep. and uh, <laughs> you know, make sure. But for the most part, um, you know, a- as the administrator, uh, you know, Kyle's going to make sure that everyone's, like you said. Uh, kind and and respectful and 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 that um but it's a great place it's a great group um and man i i love it i love it Um, it. (laughs) so 
You're also involved, you were telling me, uh, in some organizations that we've scratched the surface with on previous episodes of Squawk Ident, and that's the Aviation Mentor Program. And also at Legacy Airlines, where we are, you're involved in the cadet program, which I'm sure there's a lot of uh, you know, GA student pilots out there that are like, oh, cadet program? I want to know about that. Um, so what can you tell me? First, let's talk about the uh, mentor program. How'd you get involved in that? Well, uh, the mentor program, uh, growing up, uh, going up through the ranks of my aviation career, I've always helped out uh, junior uh, aviators. Um on uh, trying to help them out with their their career and what uh, would be best for them. Um, so doing that all the way up uh, to my legacy career here, uh, figured well if we have that here, then you know throw my name in, a, in the hat and I have experience doing it. And uh, got a phone call doing it, and right away got uh, connected um, with uh, one uh, one of my mentees, and uh, he's here at the. Uh, American Flyers program here at Addison, uh, and uh, he's should be doing his check. I think he starts his CFI squad uh, Thursday, so he just finished his uh, just passed his uh, commercial check ride uh, last week, and uh, starts uh, the CFI program uh, Thursday. And they have a short course; it's a it's a month fast-paced courts. I think it's eight hours a day, wow. every day for a month, and they knock it out. Um, and, and then uh, shortly after him, I, I got another student, uh, mentee of mine, and uh, uh, he is a uh, friend of a friend that is the LaGuardia-based, is one of the LaGuardia-based chief pilots at our legacy airline. So uh, his father's a United guy and uh, was a, got his private, was interested in doing the, this career. And uh, um, the, this program is set up for those people that uh, want to get into it. However, they might not have the financial means to do it or um, uh, just it never phased them until now. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the guys have, they're coming from a, a college with a, a different degree or tech school with doing some a career change per se. And uh, uh, we'll hook them up uh, here at Legacy Airline. And uh, um, what it is, is you apply, you come in, you do a, uh, a formal interview uh, at, at HQ and it's a suit and a tie, just like uh, anybody else would do an interview. You come in, they, you talk uh, about the program. They, they want to get to know you. Uh, once again, it goes back to, you know, can we fly with you for a long period of time? Yeah. And then from there, you get accepted and uh, they'll send you, we have about, uh, th we have three different flight schools right now. And uh, let's see, um, three, there's one, uh, there's one that is, that we use that's out in San Diego. Um, let's see, uh, a Dallas Executive, they just opened, this is the newer one, and then San Marcos. I believe it's CAE out in Phoenix and out in, and uh, out in uh, Florida, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. And then there's a Memphis one as well that we use. That's kind of the backup one. Okay. Uh, to my understanding, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so you get a pick. Um, where where you want to go do your flight training and uh 
and uh, uh, they'll give you the loan. You sign a loan, and it's it's paid back uh, throughout your your career. But um, you go, you get flight training on the legacy airline. You do your stuff, and then uh, from there, once you get your time, um, once you get your CFI, then you go to apply to one of our wholly owned uh, regionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, um, once you get uh, your time, um, then you'll be put into one of the first classes uh, at one of the regional airlines. Then you fly as an FO, upgraded captain, and then uh, eventually over to Amer- or, or over to the Legacy airline. And so, what, what's a qualifier? I mean, can anybody do this, or do any, you have to any, have a particular qualification? Anybody can do it. Anybody can apply. Um, I've seen it all over the board on, on what they've take, have what who they have taken. Um, so if, if, if you're interested, I would go, I would highly recommend going to do a discovery flight and to see if you can, you know, get a medical before you apply to this. Cause this is, it, it is a, it is a loan, um, that, uh, they're putting up front for you and they expect you, um, to start knocking out ratings and start building flight time and uh, putting you in spots that uh, they need you. Yeah. So it, uh, it's, a, it's um, a major commitment financially. Yeah. It's they're they're really they're sponsoring you. Really is what it is. Right. And financially, they're going to help you get the finance financing that you need for the program. Uh, not all that apply get accepted. I understand, um, but I will. Uh, Put a link in the show notes uh, on how to at least look into it and start that application process for those that are interested. Um, but yeah, it's a great program, and you know, thank you for sharing that with us. I'd like to have more information about that on a future show. So if you're willing, be glad to have you back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so your your future is here. You, you've made it. Um, you've got a long career ahead of you. At this point in the show, what I'd like to do is do some back and forth with some uh, quick fire Q and A. You know, you've <laughs> don't hold me to it. <laughs> you've you've been on this journey now for quite some time. You started at a very young age, and you've had a wonderful experience so far in your journey. And really, from listening to you today, I, I can see that the passion that you have with this um, is infectious. And anyone to hear your story hopefully will be inspired to act upon it and and get into flight training and get into aviation and it really is the wonderful you know side effect of this podcast is to inspire those that have not quite yet pulled the trigger um for a lack of a better term to to get into aviation and you know this is it you know we've talked about a little bit about some of the challenges but what would you say if you had to sum it up has been the biggest challenge for you to get where you are today? Probably my age. And the, the reason I say that is because uh, from my career flying the, the corporate route, um, charter route, and uh, the, the biggest part was the age. And, we, and I've, I've heard multiple owners and companies talk about um not having uh the gray hair per se 
uh, not being able to not have as much time as somebody else uh, per se. Um, however, the the few opportunities that I got, I I proved everybody wrong, and just being able to get over that hurdle uh, to to prove everybody wrong and to give me a shot, that, that's probably been been my biggest hurdle uh throughout my career is when somebody looks at me that you know i get called the the kid all the time in the cockpit which you know i i uh that's fine with me i just you know i call i shoot you right back so you know uh it's fine with me but uh just being able to prove everybody wrong um i've had multiple pilots that i've flown with that are much older than i am that have that have said that um they wouldn't have in any other way uh flying with somebody they trust me in the cockpit especially in the left seat making decisions and helping out as a team player and uh volunteering you know to to help other people down the road so uh you know never give up um with something just keep working uh just uh prove people wrong uh in this industry that's all you can do and uh, somebody's going to give you a shot especially during the, the corporate charter world the airlines are a little different with the seniority stuff but uh yeah. uh but uh going in and uh, and doing that that's that's been the, the biggest hurdle throughout my career you know the uh one thing you can do is pack a couple of those chocolate flavored insurers in your kit bag and when somebody <laughs> gives you a hard time you got here you go old man <laughs> drink up <laughs> yeah so if you could go back uh, in time just for a moment and whisper into your own ear as a younger self, just starting out in this journey, what would you tell yourself? Just starting out in the journey. Uh, keep on trucking. Uh, keep going. Um, keep reaching your, your goals. Um, don't give up. Don't listen to the people that have negative impact in your life on certain things, you know, uh, listen to your mentors. There, there's tons of great people out there today. Um, a lot of older aviators per se in this industry that have been through a lot that have seen a lot. Um, listen to them. And that, that's, uh, that's one thing. Uh, today's world talking to a lot of young adults, uh, even the high school kids is, you know, it goes back to the parental thing, uh, not not wanting to listen to, to parents or somebody uh, older generation because they think they know better. Well, the reason they're telling you that is because they've been through it. They don't want you to go through the same exact mistake that they had or having to jump through the same exact hoop that they jumped through. Um, so it. Uh, uh, listen and uh you know have a positive attitude on things and uh uh keep going keep climbing for instance yeah oh, that's great i like that keep climbing <laughs> so you've you've been on the flight line now for quite some time what's been your scariest emergency situation <laughs> scariest emergency uh well um I don't know. Nothing's really, to be honest, we're, we're trained for those things. So it's just, it's not, uh, it's not been anything out of the ordinary. I've, I've had, uh, I've had, uh, here's a new engine on the Baron back when we had the, uh, the engine quit rolling down the runway. Uh, that kind of 
perked me up a little bit because that was my first real thing. It uh, auto feathered, and on a piston airplane, it doesn't have auto feather. Uh, turned out the uh, the prop hub ring was uh, cut an eighth of an inch too big. Oh, and it caused it to auto feather. So um, the engine quit rolling down, aborted, and uh, turned off. And because uh, I I forget who I was with at the time, but they uh, oh it was John. He he was like, hey, can you taxi it to the hangar? <laughs> I, I can't. There's no tiller on this thing, man. I can't taxi it with one motor. Uh, but uh, had that happen, um, I had uh, picked up a, a 421 with John again. I, I guess it may have just been when I was flying with John for a lot of this. Maybe it seems to be. <laughs> I have but, the same experience with certain uh, pilots. <laughs> uh, we went and we picked up, a, uh, I think it was, it was a 414 or 421 in Pueblo, Pueblo, Colorado. And it just got a new engine put on it. And uh, we picked it up, showed up when they told us to show up, which uh, for all you listeners out there, when a mechanic or anybody tells you the time that it's ready, you show up later, later than what they the next do. day. <laughs> yeah. It's never generally ready. Uh, so we get in there and they were finishing it up and they're buttoning it up and we took off and, ride engine started smoking and it wasn't wasn't a fiery smoke but it was it was a it was a white smoke it looked like oil was coming out of uh the tubes uh whatever and uh so we came back around told the the tower what was happening came back around landed they they sent out arf to meet us even though we didn't need it at the time still producing power and uh landed fire trucks followed us in and it, it turned out they forgot to tighten the, the hoses so that's what yeah yep so that that's what happened with that um i've had flap issues on uh some corporate airplanes before um uh i haven't had any windshield uh, uh decompressions knock on wood yeah I don't know. I, uh, I, I guess there's been a few times I've flown with captains. Uh, I have a few 190 stories up in the Northeast. A uh, few captains that are retired now, bless their hearts. And uh, uh, he, he was an 80 guy, new to the airplane. And it was one of those days where there's weather everywhere. And then all of a sudden, we're coming up from Atlanta to DC and weather everywhere. Uh, all of a sudden VIP movement right there on the, uh, the arrival started, you know, started slowing everybody down, started holding. We had, we had gas. It was one of those days where, you know, the, the dispatcher gave you, you know, a little extra gas, but it wasn't, you know, it was, it was like, okay, we don't have an alternate. We don't need that much. And, uh, they start holding and he just starts I don't know. He starts worrying about gas. And I think at that point we had, I think we had like 8,000 pounds and the 190 is very, very fuel efficient. Yeah. Of 170, 75 drivers out there that can relate to it. Uh, very fuel efficient. Doesn't gobble gas. It, in fact, it's hard to burn gas when you need it on that airplane. Yeah. And so, um, started holding and he, uh, started freaking out about gas and, and then I don't know, he, 
how to get up to go to the bathroom while we're entering holding and talking to people and doing our duties. I'm yeah. like, dude, this is the place to be doing this right now. And uh, get in the hold, and then they start releasing people to come in. And then uh, he mentioned something. I think at that point we had about 65, 7,000 pounds of gas. We got over got an, an hour. Yeah, yeah. Got an alternate of, uh, of Dulles. And I had to talk him into Dulles because he wanted to go to Baltimore. I'm like, if we go mm. miss Dulles is right there. So I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, talked him into Dulles. And then, uh, I don't know, just they were people doing the arrival and then they did the, the backwards downwind to, it was the Mountain Burn visual one mm-hmm. for people that have been in there. And, uh, uh, he, he, he told me three times my leg, he said, Kyle, we can't go around. What? We can't go around if we're unstable or whatever. We're going around. We got cats. Yeah. And at and at that point on the downwind, we had about five thousand pounds, and uh, it's little. And he he kept saying we can't go around. I'm like, man, we're gonna be okay. I mean, the airport's right there. If we got to go around, we got to go around. You can't can't fault that. We got the gas to go over to Dulles. We have to. And uh, uh, he uh, he said it about three times, and then I landed and taxied in and then he said something like well that wasn't too bad was it and just looking, <laughs> and oh my gosh really he wasn't but, used to the yeah the yeah. modern airplane he was used to probably yeah, decades was, on a the, mad the dog and uh you know and burn, you know whatever the the fuel flow on was the burnage of the 80 and it's like man this, this plane's you know it's to the 10th on the yeah don't worry, I got this. <laughs> yeah, the newer airplane, it's fine. So, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, the 190 up in the Northeast, that was some of the best flying that I've ever had in my career. Yeah. Was, that's fun. It was fun, fun, up and downs. We did 36 minute turns out of LaGuardia. When I tell people that, their eyes just get this big. Yep. Um, doing the Boston shut, the old Trump shuttle. Mm-hmm. And uh, did all the shuttle, Boston, LaGuardia, D.C., did Philly. Uh, the 190, we only went to about eight to ten cities, depending on the month. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, it, uh, you got, to, got to get to know the crews and the people and even the layover staff. You got to get to know everybody. You know, I was, uh, I was at an airline. We call it Sandpiper here on the show. I was at Sandpiper Regional, one of the wholly owns here yeah. at Legacy. And... Uh, as a new captain, I was based in LaGuardia, JFK, co-domicile, and you, what you're describing, you basically did that flying, back and forth, the shuttles, you know, the quick turns in and out of the hub, and uh, congratulations, although you didn't get picked up at a regional and you you forego that whole experience, you actually kind of got a taste of it because that 190 at the time sounds like that's exactly what you were doing you know the cruise it just it seems although it's all the same company it just seems like you know it's a little bit tighter knit community um so far what's been your favorite aircraft out of all of them (laughs) yeah um transport wise uh, well, I, I guess different categories, if you want to put it in that way. Okay. Uh, probably the, the corporate world, um, it'd be between the 650 Citation and the G4. 
The reason I say the 650 Citation is because it was the first swept wing airplane that Cessna ever built. And it was actually built by Boeing. Uh, 95% of the airplane was built by Boeing. Cessna came to Boeing asking them, how the heck do we make a swept wing airplane? Which the 650 uh, introduced to the 10. So everything that the 650 didn't have is on the 10 now. Mm. Uh, so it was a it was a Mach 8.3 at Cruise Airplane. Uh, nice little nice little airplane. You cannot uh, call that a slotation. No Mach no, 8.3. Nope. <laughs> so uh, that and then the, the Gulfstream, um, the yeah. G4 was very nice flying. Uh, had a lot of uh, I guess back then the newer technology uh glass and the uh, plane view and uh, everything on it on the g4 and uh went straight up to altitude we pulled it back to 80 for cruise (laughs) yeah so it uh got above the weather and you just you're hauling i I think a long range cruise if i remember right was seven seven on that thing Mm. so um so i mean it depends where it was very nice in the back roomy uh Fun of my wife, uh, been on every single corporate airplane that I've ever flown with. She's been on, uh, been with me with some trips, and it was it's funny coming to the airline. She she just said, you know, I I, I don't know if I can sit, and coach, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hint hint. Uh, I want a first yeah. class uh, buddy pass, please. <laughs> exactly. So um, so out of, out of, out of out of those two airplanes of corporate world, those those are my favorite. And then for the airline, between the 190 and the Airbus, they both have their pros and cons to them. Um, the Airbus is very roomy. Um, very roomy. It's a big airplane. Uh, fly different. Uh, you know, the short, medium, and long haul stuff between the, the 19, 20, 20, excuse me, 21. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if they fix the wing on the the 321 that would have made the airplane a lot better instead of staying in the low 30s for the you know the transcon flights and then the 190 it was a great airplane anything under two hours um very fuel efficient Uh, most of our flights were full all the time so uh, i was surprised when we went to uh one of the uh regional carriers uh when they were dumping the 190 to do it instead of adding a 319 or even get maybe buying the e2 or more 190s uh they're just very fuel efficient so mm-hmm. good airplane under and easy to fly all the newer avionics on the thing um the, the, it was a great airplane yeah. so i don't i don't have a favorite airline one yet but it maybe one day when i get to the triple or the seven eight i heard those guys say the triple is the best airplane out of out of all the fleet so we'll we'll see what happens the bentley <laughs> of them all yeah. yeah which leads me to my next question so if you could pick a dream airplane to retire on what would that be triple seven domestic captain domestic yeah you're not yeah. interested in the uh, long haul going over to hong, hong kong <laughs> or uh over to uh, australia or something you know, I, I'll have to try it out as an FO first and see, you know, I, I, I can't sleep on an airplane. I've, I have to be deadbeat tired in order to fall asleep. Now, I don't know how it works with the, with the bunks. I don't know if those guys can get sleep. I've never been up there. Every time I've jump seated on uh, seven, eight, for instance, going to Philly, 
generally one of the, the deadheading crew members was up there that actually had a seat in the back. So I, I've never been up there to sleep. So I, I don't know how that would work out, but I'd, I'd yeah. be okay doing, you know, Europe or, um, or somewhere I've, I've heard some, I shouldn't say stories going to China, but, uh, yeah, the London's the more, or the Europe's the more preferred uh, destination for the uh, the wide body stuff. But yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I I, I met uh, when we still had the seven sixes. Uh, father knew uh, it was actually going down to my JetBlue interview in Orlando. Flew on a, a Legacy seven six, and the captain. I uh, was friends with my father. That's all he did. He was a wide body domestic captain. He nice. said he, he, he's not doing the international stuff anymore. That's all he was doing. Just going hub to hub to big city on this yep. big plane. And, you know, I was like, try to be home every night. Yep. Exactly. It's like, man, I want that life. That sounds pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said about, uh, you know, doing the short haul stuff and being home yep. more often for sure. Yep. As a newer pilot, maybe just getting ready to come into the 121 environment or the airline world, um, what advice would you give to them considering today's marketplace uh, in aviation? Well, I would uh, the the number one question that I get with a lot of the newer pilots is uh, job security. Job security: Am I going to get thrown out on the street with? you know, today's current, because a lot of these younger aviators have not seen the bad. They've seen the good since 2008 um, or the upswing since 2008. They haven't seen the downswing. So my advice to a lot of these younger pilots uh, is to, to go ask, um, go ask a senior uh, pilot could be at any airline and talk to them about their career and how, what affected because everybody's different it depends on when you get in and timing's everything i want to at the end of the day and what affected their career um you know some guys are going to be a little bit more gruntal on it than others and um the the biggest thing the biggest question i get all the time is you know aren't you worried about losing your job you know next week you know shut down and it's like yeah, that's, that's about every job though out there. So you, you kind of got to take the pros and cons to everything and, and, uh, you know, what best fits you, um, and, and go from there, take, take the information. Yeah. Um, and then for a, a corporate guy or charter guy going in the one total world, it was, I wouldn't say it was a culture shock, but it was a little different, little different, uh, experience, especially for me, uh, because a lot of these training facilities are based on already been being at a 121 carrier a regional per se. Yeah. So just kind of getting to know the lingo and I, I can totally feel the military guys like getting the lingo, getting down the, the checklist and how we do things, the call outs, um, the, the 121 world of things, uh, maybe, uh, going over some things with uh, 121 guy to just see how, how things run and um, just kind of getting a heads up. Cause what, for me, I had no idea it worked that way. And uh, especially going to JetBlue, that was a big culture shock, Man. but uh, got through it, got hooked up with uh, group study. Group study is a big one. If you can get a couple guys and kind of mm-hmm. all ask questions and everybody's different aspects of it. 
get together and uh, go over things and uh, try to understand understand something better. It makes makes it a lot more enjoyable and uh, uh, a lot easier to learn. Yeah. I think uh, for those that come from a regional, they have a, a little bit of an advantage, which is they've already experienced flight operations with the company's uh, procedures, uh, the standard operating procedures or the flight manual. Um, when you come in from the military service or you come in from a corporate world where you may not have had all those you know, additional regs that you had to know, you know, procedures on how to do with scheduling and, and, you know, what's seniority and, and, you know, all the union contract language that you have to learn. It's like, oh my gosh, not only are you learning the systems of the airplane, now you got to learn, uh, you know, what's reserve and what's the call out and do I have to be available? Do I have to answer my phone and all these things, um, that are on top of learning the airplane. Um, so yeah, it's, Great advice to to get out there and, and get with a forum. There's plenty of places online. Um, if you know where you want to go, you can. I mean, you don't have to wait until you get hired somewhere. You can kind of study a little bit, you know, every night or you know once a week and and study. Okay, how do they do it over there at that at United? You know, and a lot, of, a lot of companies are the same. Just their wording or whatnot may be a little different. Right, right? and that's that's the biggest. That's the what I've seen talking through other buddies is that's the only difference is, you know, our call out might be a little different from their call out, but you're still, it's still, there's still something there. Yeah. Foundations, <laughs> I think pretty much all stemmed in the same place. You know, yeah. it's just a matter of transitioning to the new, even from aircraft to aircraft in the same company. It's just a matter of transitioning from one way of doing things to tweaking a little bit to do it the other way. So yeah, that's, that's sage advice. Um, What's been your favorite layover destination? <laughs> uh, well, my favorite one, and unfortunately, I, with the COVID stuff so far, I really enjoy uh, Destin, Florida. The 319 started picking up that route out of DFW. And it's a, it's a uh, I think it's like a 20, there's a 20 something and a 30 something hour layover there. And Destin? Florida. Destin, I've, yeah, I I got to admit, I've never heard of it. I'm going to look it up. So, so tell me about it. Um, the hotel, right on the water, right on the beach. Unfortunately, that day, um, we the beaches were closed, but I, I would like to go back there at some point. Um, you, you land, uh, I think, the, the uh, uh, BPS, Fort Walton Beach, Destin. It's all in the same area, oh, I see. but, uh, you landed, it's a military base you land on. And, uh, I think they do training there because when you land, you got to watch out for the cables, there's cables on both ends for the, I guess the Navy does stuff. Oh, yes. there. Cables up or cables down. Check the notams. Yep. <laughs> Eglin so, Air Force Base is a yep. joint uh, base. Yeah. Yep. Joint base and, uh, small, uh, small little terminal, but, uh, 20 minutes from the hotel and, uh, I like to go back there when, once, well, I guess the beaches are open now, but uh, if we get that layover again, I'd like to go back there. Yeah, I've seen um, VPS on the bid packet for uh, out of LA, so I might have to yeah, look into that one. That's a good one. It's not, it's not LA beaches, but it's still, you know, still, uh, you, you get in the golf uh, beach experience, which is yeah. still the, the water and the sand down there is still nice. Sand and, and sun, that's all I need. Yeah, sand and sun. And then I did like uh, the 190 flying. I did like uh, uh, Boston. 
Boston during the summer. Yep. A lot, a lot of historic places. You mm-hmm. can walk around uh, the, the tram there. You can get to anywhere in the city. It's a lot cleaner than New York is. Um, I like the chowder. Yep, the and, chowder. Uh, and the, uh, the lobster. Yep. The lobster, exactly. lobster sandwich. So, uh, <laughs> and then for, uh, for the people that were Cheers fans growing up, you can go see the, the bar there. So you know, I've it, never uh, done that. Is that uh, right downtown? downtown? Oh, mm-hmm. Gonna have to go. Oh, yep. So in the summer, though, I wouldn't go in the winter. Winter's brutal. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, that, I like Boston. I like Philly, too. I like the downtown yep. Philly. Go running where uh, Balboa, run up to the Balboa statue. I think there's a photo in the uh, okay. Flight Line Photos tab on the website there. <laughs> me, and, me and Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never, uh, when I was there in Philly, I had family up in, uh, in New Jersey that I stayed with when I commuted up there. So I, I never actually got into to, uh, downtown, but, uh, but yeah, I've heard many great things going on the layover down there to do stuff to do. Yeah. So, so I think I already know the answer to this, this next uh, final question, but I've got to ask, I'd like you to take a moment. And think about the one person that most influenced your journey. <laughs> Who would that person be and why? Uh, of course, it's going to be uh, my father. Um, just kind of, um, you know, supported me, uh, supported the family growing up. I was able to see that, that, uh, you know, he was, he was never, father's been very fortunate, never been furloughed. Um, except uh, regional carrier, but that was well before uh, the, the legacy airline. So uh, was uh, he was able to support our family growing up. Um, uh, what, what he did was, was awesome. Being able to uh, say we're going to work every day, it's more of a hobby than anything. Uh, having that, having him as a mentor growing up, um, seeing what decision, uh, that I needed to make on, on anything, uh, going up through the ranks, uh, to get to my dream goal. Um, and then, uh, just, uh, if, if I needed to talk to somebody, he, it seems like he, he was always there, uh, still is always there, especially in the middle of the night if something comes up or whatnot. But, uh, uh, yeah, father, uh, hands down. <laughs> yeah. You're a very lucky man so, uh, to yes, have that yes, influence I in your life. I don't take anything for granted. And, um, you know, that, that's why I try to help out young aviators as much as I can and, uh, help out either, uh, younger people, um, talk to them. A big part of it too was, uh, um, retirement stuff, uh, money, uh, you know, learning how to live. They don't teach that in school, which they should. I don't know why they don't, uh, you know, learn how to live, paying bills, um, uh, budgeting, um, 401k stuff, uh, working. Um, they don't teach any of that in school nowadays. And, uh, and, you know, just being able to have him to talk me through things and what kind of look for, I, I kind of pass that down to, the, the younger generation say, Hey, this is what you need to be doing this because this, this, and this, and, um, it's, it's gonna make you not only a better human being, but, uh, 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 set you up for success later on down the road. Yeah. Yeah. So it, uh, trying to, trying to repay that, 
back to a lot of people now and uh hopefully it's working um i haven't got any negative feedback from anybody so far i've been made fun of a bunch of times for talking to the the younger crowd about 401k and you know financial market stuff and uh, things like that but it's like guys you know right right yeah right around the corner you know you uh, before you know it you're going to be in a retirement spot and being able to retire is different than uh uh not being able to retire so um and if you put a lot lot more money uh into retirement now especially a Roth IRA account um where it takes taxes out now and grows tax-free you know you kind of know what you got when you retire being able to retire at 50 instead of 65 is a big deal (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're seeing it now with all these voluntary permanent leave of absences that yep. the company's offering, which is a, an amazing opportunity yep. here. And those that saved and, you know, mm-hmm. were smart with their finances and lived within their means. And, you know, I see it all the time. Oh, I'm a new hire at a at a legacy airline. My wife and I just bought a, a house. You know, it's five hundred thousand dollars, and uh, you know, we just bought two new cars, and uh, and, and we're pregnant. We're gonna have kids, and and then it's like, guess what? There's a pandemic around. Oh crap! Yep. <laughs> yeah, and you lose the farm, yep. and then you have seven years to rebuild. So yeah, uh, living within your means and and having a strategy to to plan ahead. I I. A uh, captain once handed me, probably over 10 years ago, he once handed me a book in the cockpit. He's like, here, this one's for you. And when you're done with it, I want you to pass it along to somebody you think could use it. And it was Dave Ramsey's uh, Living Debt Free. And I read I, that book. My whole family read the book, and I passed it along. And I was like, you know, I went out and bought a book for myself, you know, bought a copy so I can keep. And, and uh, yeah, living debt free and, and staying away from those pitfalls of... You know, hey, I got a good job. Let's go <laughs> buy a boat. <laughs> oh, you know, no. uh, okay. Wait till you're wait till you're established and settled, and you got you know. Okay, then we can talk. Um, I've been following David Ramsey too. I, I think I father didn't come out. Dad didn't come out and say it, but I I think when I started mowing lawns at ten, started cutting the neighbors' lawns at ten. Um, it was kind of the kind of the same thing as you know you got a budget for stuff even though I didn't really have any bills growing up uh, until teenage years but uh, you know I always put stuff in the savings and yeah. just kind of kind of already followed his plan just didn't know it until uh, you know teenage years where you started paying for your own stuff and mm-hmm. uh, still had to do the same budget but now you got bills and uh, uh, just you got to have the foundation yeah. Yeah. Sage advice. And thank you for sharing that. Yep. Well, as we wrap up the show here today, I want to thank you for spending the time to give us all an insight to your journey. Uh, Any last thoughts you'd like to uh, give us? Uh, Well, thank you for your time, first of all, Tony. And uh, to all the young aviators out there, just keep on climbing. Um, You know, with all the... uh, the obstacles there are out there right now, uh, keep flying, uh, keep bettering yourself as a uh, human being. And, uh, one day everything's going to pay off. And, uh, want to say thank you to my parents, my wife. Uh, I have lots of friends out there that are probably listening to this at some point, too many dimension, but, uh, thank you for everybody being in my life and, uh, showing uh, support in different areas. So I just want to say thanks. 
Yeah. No, and thank you for being out here. You know, being on the flight line, you know, people think, well, you know, pilot, they make a lot of money, you know, what do they care? But we're essential. We're out there. We're at airports. We're in public places. I mean, my wife and I had a conversation just the other day. She said, you know, here you are in these airports on flights, dealing with passengers in close quarters. You're at hotels. You're living out of a suitcase. You're using public restrooms constantly. You're eating meals out. You're having to take do takeout and, you know, and find Uber Eats or whatever to just to get a meal because everything's closed and shut down. And you're not going to be bringing home COVID. You're going to be fine. It's me going to the Trader Joe's <laughs> for milk and <laughs> eggs, and I'm going to be coming home with it. And, you know, the just the, you know, that 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 could very well happen and it's just it's tough to you know here we are working our butts off to try to to make it work yes we have these wonderful careers and wonderful hobbies that require an exorbitant amount of focus concentration knowledge base um skill calm under pressure you know all the the check rides and licenses and, and finances that we've had to shell out to to just to get here and now that we're here it's not that it's cush, but it's definitely a good place to be. Right. Um, but there's a huge sacrifice that pilots make to get here. Um, and not all of them are willing to do that. And, and it's great to have people that are mentors like yourself who are willing to take the time to get out there and, and just give that advice and, and tell them, hey, man, I got your back. This is what you need to do. Um, so thank you for doing that. Also want to say thank you to all the frontline workers out there, the doctors, nurses, pharmacists, EMTs, medical techs, firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, Amazon workers, and of course, all of the airline employees that show up to work every day to provide the essential services. We are seeing great numbers from the TSA uh, checkpoints and hopefully these numbers will continue to climb the international flying will come back and we will be back and it will take time a lot of adjusting and there will be a new way of doing things smaller tighter more lean operations out there around the country but for all of them that are all of us that are working out here on the front lines thank you to all of you i want to say thank you to kyle for spending this uh, day with me uh, talking about his journey in aviation. And thank you to you, all of the listeners that are sitting down with us to hear about what's going on. I encourage you to check out our website here at Squawk Ident. You can find us at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There we have episode archives. We have photos from the flight line. We now have a new guest book tab where we'll be posting photos of Kyle's Baron and more photos from the flight line. Uh, we also have a way to donate to the show, to become a producer to Squawk Ident right there on the homepage. Scroll down to the bottom. And if you have the opportunity uh, to send us uh, a small contribution, we'll definitely roll that into the show. And it helps us with equipment and marketing expenses. And I want to say thank you to all of you for listening and tuning in. And Kyle, again, thanks for being on the show. And I look forward to having you again here in the near future. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you.